things, but um, we went to all the, all the prayer meetings. Oh, man, those prayer meetings, I'll tell you what. We had these like one-hour prayer meetings every week, which I know for some of you is like, that's it? Others of you is like, what, an hour? But I remember sitting there as a seven-year-old kid. It's like, is it ever going to end, you know? And there was always one, there's always some, there's just like this old guy we had at our church. He would pray for everything. He'd, go, he'd name cars one by one in the parking lot. Pray for the Canterbury's car, Lord. Will you bless the engine? And the, you know, it's like, finish. So anyways, uh, but I remember all those things. And you know, I look back on those memories to, uh, now and I have such, uh, I just look back on those and there were such great memories. I think about all those saints that I got to sit with each week and watch them intercede for the people in the church. And it's just such a blessing to have been a part of that. And so I gave my life to Christ when I was seven after a very moving flannel graph presentation. (laughs) Uh, I'll tell you what, though. I was a depraved seven-year-old. I didn't clean my room until my mom asked me three times. That's how bad I was. So, uh, But I remember walking down to the altar, and we had altars in my church in the front, and uh, I remember responding to that call. And so I was just involved in church as much as possible. I I attended um, from fifth grade on. I went to Christian schools and... uh, and was just involved as much as I could. I was like a total 90s evangelical kid. WWJD, all that stuff, if you guys remember. But uh, I've heard lots of your testimonies here over the years that I've been here. I know some of you share in those things with me. Uh, You share in that experience. It's fun to talk about all the the wonderful memories uh, from growing up in the church, but it's also some of the really cheesy things that we did during that time as well. And I'm sure our kids are going to look back on today and they're going to be like, what in the world? We used to do this in church? Uh, and they're going to laugh at the things we did. I mean, every, every time period has those idiosyncrasies associated with it. But uh, it's unfortunate, though, that as I got older, I watched a lot of the kids that I grew up with. A lot of these kids that I went to children's church with, that watched, you know, watched the flannel graph stuff, uh, that I went to youth group with. We did all the lock-ins. Anybody do any lock-ins? Yeah? Those are miserable. Uh, <laughs> fun when I was a kid, but now I'm like, I can't believe our youth pastor did that. Um, but we went to concerts together. I remember going to like see DC Talk and all this stuff. Um, and I watched these, these kids that I grew up with that were just on fire for God. That's what we used to say then. And then they just kind of walked away from it all when they became adults. They just left it, walked away. And I, like many of you, I have friends on Facebook who are people that I grew up with. And it's really just sad to see the direction their lives have gone And to think back and go, what in the world went wrong? What was different about my life that I just never walked away? And I thank God for that, that so many, I mean, so many of them just abandoned their faith. What was different about it? Um, And not only that, but some of these people are even just hostile to the church. I'll look at the comments that they'll make on Facebook. I mean, it's, it's real easy to jump on the, hate church bandwagon sometimes. And they'll just jump right on that wagon and throw stones at the church. And it's like, man, this was the very place that I remember these experiences we had that I remember as these great experiences. And now you're just turned, so turned against it. Um, so anyways, that's my testimony. And it's who I am. I love it. I'm proud of it. I gotta be honest. I haven't always been proud of it. I've always felt like I don't really have this really good, like here's a bunch of dirt testimony that a lot of people have. It's kind of boring from that sense, but uh, I'll tell you this, I, I'm, I'm over feeling like it's not a significant testimony 
Because let me tell you something, it is no less significant than the worst of sinners finding Jesus at the end of a long life of rebellion against God. It's no less significant than a person who came to Christ while they were in college through some campus ministry, or somebody who came to Christ during a time of recovery from addiction. Um, I gotta tell you, 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 you are no less worthy or no more worthy of God's grace than anybody is, no matter what age you are. And uh, you are no more or less capable of receiving that grace than anyone is. And anytime God, in his great mercy, chooses to change the heart of somebody, whether it's a child over there in, that, in the children's church or whether it's somebody on the street who's suffering from an addiction, it is an absolute miracle of God, and we should praise him for that. Amen? And so I, I just, I, I've accepted that, and this is my testimony and, uh, but like I said, I've wondered so many times, what about these other kids? Did they really, did they really know Christ? I'm not going to get into all that. I mean, it's, it's a, God knows what the answer is to that, but I've just wondered so many times. Um, I know this. I know that ro- the, the road that leads to life is a very narrow road. The Bible says few people find it. And the path that leads to destruction is very wide, and a lot of people find it. And here's what I know. You can't just believe in Christ. You gotta, you gotta do something more than just believe because even the demons believe in Jesus. They know he's real. You have to trust in Christ. And most of all, if your faith lacks obedience, which is ultimately what worship is all about, it's about obedience, and all you ever know is what you've been taught here or in children's church or in a youth group or what you saw in that flannel graph when you were a kid, you're not going to last very long at all because faith is not just an exercise of our minds. It must be acted out. It must be applied. So when I was in high school, and this is like 17 years ago for me, uh, we had to memorize scripture verses every week uh, for one of our classes. And during my senior year, we had to memorize Romans 12, the entire chapter and uh, this was also a time in my life where God was really solidifying his call on me to go into ministry, specifically into, into music ministry. And uh, it's been a source of wisdom and strength through my adult life, and I've committed it and recommitted it to memory a number of times. And I would just encourage you, if you've never done that, just taken a whole chapter of the Bible and committed it to memory, this is a fantastic chapter to start with, Romans 12. Um, there's just so much good stuff in there. And so the thing that, is different about Romans 12. It's about application. This is not a passage of scripture that's about what God did for you or does for you. It's not a passage of scripture that about, that's about what God is going to do for you or what you're going to get. This is a passage of scripture about what you and I should do in response to what God has already done in our hearts. It's about application. You see, God has not just saved us for heaven, he saved us for today. And the Bible says that we've been saved to do good works prepared beforehand by God. That's in Ephesians 2. And uh, by the way, if you think, if you think you're going to go to heaven with a very passive, actionless faith, I got some news for you. A lot of people, this is just one of those mindsets people have about heaven. It's kind of like, well, when I die, we're going to hit the big reset button. I'm going to get to heaven. I'm going to do everything right immediately. Like, I'm just, I don't have to do any effort. It's just going to happen. I'll just wait till then. Whatever you are sowing today, whoever you are, you are on a path 
that is going to lead you there. If you cannot apply your faith, if the things of God turn you off right now, then here's what eternity is going to do for you. God's simply going to remove himself from that equation, and you're just going to become more of who you are. Now, on the flip side, if you're training yourself, and if the things of God excite you and you love God, here's the great thing about eternity. Sin gets removed from the equation. And can you imagine then when you don't have all those faults and those failures that are a result of the fall to get in your way of your relationship with God? So what you sow today you'll reap in eternity. Um, so you kind of live a life of obedience for God. You'll get better because, uh, again, in eternity, we're not going to have that sin to stop us. So enough of that. Let's read the passage. We're going to focus on verse 1 and 2. We could do like a whole month series, months on Romans 12. It's got so much stuff in it, but don't worry, I'm not going to do that. Um, there's 19 additional verses there, but let's look at Romans 12, 1 and 2, and this is what it says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Amen. So a quick overview of Romans in the first 11 chapters. I mean, if you've ever read Romans, you know it is a deep, sometimes it can be kind of a, oh, what in the world is it saying kind of book. As a matter of fact, we had a, a small group at one time, and we, we decided to go through the book of Romans, and our small group came to an abrupt end during that study, because Romans can be a really difficult book to find out what exactly it's saying. It's got a lot of uh, theological and doctrinal statements in it. Um, as you know, Romans starts out, and Paul kind of lays out uh, exactly what happened. He talks about the fall, how people had, had uh, exchanged the image of the created for the creator. Then Paul goes on, he talks about justification by faith. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. All right, then he talks about how we're sanctified and eventually how we're going to be glorified. So he lays out this whole chain of salvation, and it's incredible stuff. But the thing that, that I want you to see about Romans 12, um, I don't think the book of Romans is about doctrine and theology. Because if you stop before you get there and you think, I've just, this is it, you missed it. And there's one key word there in Romans 12, and it's the very first word, and it's therefore. Paul begins, therefore, I urge you, brothers. The chapters are all leading up to that one word. It's the most pivotal word in Romans, therefore. Paul's building a case, an argument, and then he's pleading, urging the people that he's talking to and saying, look at all this stuff that God has done for you. Look what he's done. Therefore, this is our response to that. So remember, up until Christ came, the system of worship that was in place was based on sacrifice. And there were uh, a number of opportunities. If you were a Jew at the time, there were these opportunities throughout the year where you could offer sacrifices or offerings to the temple. Many of these were done corporately. They were burnt offerings. They were peace offerings, grain offerings. There were these guilt offerings. 
Uh, a lot of them were done at the same time, and you would get like this one day where you had to go bring your offering. I got to tell you guys, at Southwinds, I know we got a, a, like a late thing here. Like, wouldn't be good for us. You imagine if you showed up late to the day where you had your guilt offering, and you had to live that entire next year. It's like, oh, I can't miss it next year, right? Uh, and that's, what the, that's, that's the way it was. So, uh, and I know, listen, sometimes... I know maybe we don't like to sing or maybe we come in and, and the coffee's not as good as we're used to or the temperature in the room's not what we want, but don't you think it's a whole lot easier than having to bring some animal every week to sacrifice, right? Yeah, and a lot less messy for us too, but that's, that's what they had to do. And so what we see in Romans is a reversal of this old system of worship, this Old Testament system, because you would bring your sacrifice, the first fruits, the very best that you had, none of the leftovers, and you'd present them to the priest and he would present them to God on your behalf. And you better hope that what you brought was good enough because if it wasn't, some weird stuff was gonna happen in your life. Just read Leviticus to find out. I mean, there's some weird stuff that happens. But now, God's great mercy is shown through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Christ is that pure and spotless lamb. He takes away our sins, even while we were yet sinners. And the only requirement that falls on you is that you place your trust in Christ. And you're justified by faith in Christ. So Paul lays out this case, and then he begins 12 with a therefore and what follows, I love this, it's not a command. Paul doesn't say, you have to do this. He's not doing that. He's saying, therefore, look, look, I just, I just told you what God has done. Now listen, in response to that, we should do this. It's a plea. It's a plea. Um, I have five kids, so I'm sorry all my illustrations are about kids because they're everywhere. I can't think, I'm like, I gotta come up with another illustration, but it's like, I can't, I just, it's my life, it's just kids. And so our kids, like many of yours probably do, or when you did when you were a kid, they do chores every week. And like most kids, it's not exactly the highlight of their week, right? And so most recently, our, our, our son Reuben, who we adopted back in January, he's been living with us uh, since a year ago, April. And when he came to live with us, you know, after the sort of honeymoon period wore off, we had to sit him down and say, okay, listen, now that you're part of our family, we expect everybody in our family to contribute to this family. So we have these chores you got to do. He was super excited about it. No, he wasn't, right? He was like, uh-uh. And he got this look like, oh, I mean, it's, tears, you know, that's a parent's job and just did not want to do it. And so what we, we had to be, you know, we had to come up with, like any, any of you have done, we got to come up with this system. We started out with these rewards. If you'll do this, then we'll give you this or that. And gradually after we started that whole thing, we had to, had to kind of, you know, tear down those rewards uh, until eventually we got to a point where he was just willing to do the chore without getting the rewards. And we had to talk to him the whole time about, okay, listen, that, you know, I work and I provide for the family. Mom takes care of you guys and we, we give you a house and a safe place to live in. And so we just, we, we expect you to do this and, and, and get to a point where you go, okay, I understand that. I'm, I'm gonna contribute to the family. And I think that's much like what Paul is doing here in Romans. It's that idea that if our faith is just based on a command, you have to do this. If it's that legalistic command, then uh, as soon as you're, you're going to get tired of doing it at some point, and you're going to just walk away from it and stop doing it. 
But what happens here in Romans 12 is Paul saying, your obedience is not based on just a com- an empty command to do this or else. No, 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 come on. It's based on the grace and the mercy that God's showing you. You're part of the family of God. Now, wouldn't you want to do these things? How wouldn't you want to live a life of holiness that's pleasing to God after what he's done for you? Uh, so there I am. I'm a senior in high school. I'm making decisions about what I want to do with the rest of my life. And God begins to show me the things that he's done in my life. And I begin to think about the opportunity that I've had that so many people don't have to grow up in a, a stable home and to, to just walk with God at a young age and be around people that walked with God at a young age. And what else could I do in that moment but just say, God, I offer myself to you as a living sacrifice because of what you've done in my life out of sheer gratefulness because gratitude leads to obedience and obedience leads to holiness. We want to be a, a, a sacrifice that's holy and pleasing to God. And holiness is the end game. That's what we're aiming for. Holiness is Christ-likeness. To be holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. So how do we get there? How do we go from being indifferent to the things of God to having the mind of Christ? Well, let's look at verse two. I'm gonna bring that first slide up again with the whole passage. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Hey, I wanna see if you guys have ever had this experience, but have you ever sat down to do your quiet time or do your Bible study, and it's like, everything else starts happening at the same time. Or you start to think about all these other things that you got to do, or you just flat out don't want to do it. I hope so. I hope I'm not the only one, right? Or, you know, that, that chore that I was asked to do 15 minutes before, I was like, I don't want to do that. And then when I sit down, I'm like, oh, maybe I should do that. You know what I mean? And it's like, what in the world is going on? And you get distracted by a million different things. Um, and I feel like it's like I have to just, almost like you beat that mule into submission. I've never done that, but you know. But you've got you to beat your body and your mind into submission to do those things. Or maybe, maybe it's on a Sunday. Maybe you wake up and you know today's Sunday. I got to go to church. And it's getting to be that season right now. Like I noticed this morning when I woke up, it's kind of dark still. And it's like, I really didn't want to get up. Like the house is a really nice temperature. Man, those comforters feel really good right now. I could get the best sleep ever if I just stayed in bed. And so, yeah, it's, and it's tempting. And here's the thing. You don't even have to do anything. You just have to stay in bed. Now, isn't sin like that? Isn't it like that? You don't really have to choose or go out of your way to sin. You just have to just let things be and not do anything, and you'll fall into sin. So easy. So I know there's a couple of you who are like, I don't do that. I always jump into the word of God. I'm just like, yeah, we hate you, okay? That's all I got to say. And, and here's the deal. It's because, it's because we're undergoing transformation of our mind. And from the time of, of your birth and my birth until now, with absolutely zero effort on our part, our mind has been absorbing the patterns of this world. You had to do nothing for it. It's a big sponge, and 
uh, it's our default nature. It's a result of the fall. And the world rebels against the things of God. And so if we've picked up that pattern without any conscious thought or effort on our part, then that's going to be something that we've got to fight as believers. Did you know that over 95% of the decisions that you make each day are passive decisions? Now, here's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about involuntary things like when we breathe or our heart beats. I'm talking about uh, what we call passive volitional actions. And here's what they are. Choices made without any conscious awareness that you're actually making a decision. So I'll give you an example. How many of you have ever uh, been driving somewhere, point A to point B, and maybe you're in the car with somebody and you have a great conversation, or maybe you, you hear a song on the radio and you just, boy, just, you get absorbed in that song, and you get to where you're going and you're like, how in the world did I get here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you're like, I don't remember, did I stop at all the stoplights? I don't, no idea what I did, right? But the, the truth is you made choices all the way, Right? You had to choose if you were going to stop and go and all that stuff. Those are those decisions that I'm talking about, those uh, decisions that we make without even realizing that we're making the decision. 95% of our decisions are like that. And here's what happens. Uh, your brain has formed these patterns, of course, and maybe it's a familiar path, and so it just kind of does what it's been trained to do. Uh, it will always default to whatever dominant pattern or whatever dominant neural pathway uh, has been established in your brain. And the sad thing is, many of us live our lives like, those dis like a distracted driver. We just kind of go with the flow, let it happen, don't want to stir the water, and then our lives end up in a mess. And it's like, how did this happen? I don't remember choosing to go here, but I ended up here. And if you haven't set a course for where you want to be, and you're not actively making decisions about it, you're going to end up in that place every single time. And that's what happens. It's like that distraction, distracted driver. You let your brain take over and do what your brain is not good at doing. So it's like being a spiritual zombie. And we all know what happens to spiritual zombies. You remember when Jesus talks about the man who sweeps out the room, cleans the room out, right? And then doesn't do anything, leaves it empty. What happens? All these Demons come in and inhabit the room, right? It doesn't do anything. It doesn't fill it with anything else. Um, so if you want to have a transformed mind, you have to reprogram those default pathways. And so we often pray that God will reveal his will to us. How many of you would just like to know right now what God's will is for your life? Yeah. Man, I'd love to know that. And the answer is found right here in the verse, that you will know what God's will is, Right? It says that. So we pray when we're at a crossroads and we make these uh, life-changing decisions or when we're facing something that's a difficult situation. All of us, many of us, are facing those situations here this morning. And we pray that God's will will be done in those situations. Uh, but think about it. If you only crack open your Bible, the only time you really actively read it is when you're faced with a difficult situation or a decision. If you don't have any repository of scripture or any pattern of godly thinking already established in your mind at that point, then at the very least, you'll only make 5% of your decisions with any regard to what God wants. 5%. And it's, all, it's often the little decisions that we make that define us. We get so caught up on these big decisions. Where am I going to work? Who am I going to marry? And the truth is, it's the little things that we do every single day that make us the person we're going to be 
5, 10, 20 years from now, right? We pay no attention to those. Eh, those are easy. And it's sad. So what are some practical steps? What is the application of application this morning? Obviously, our minds will not be completely transformed by the time that we leave today. Um, You know, a while ago, I kind of set up a system where I would make daily goals. I'm really, really bad at long-term goals, like terrible. So every time people are like, what's your five-year plan? I don't have a clue. I just want to be alive in five years. That'll, that'll be a plus. Uh, my wife's the opposite. She's got a five, a ten, five, seven, ten, all that stuff, you know, and is always thinking way out in the future. And I'm like, let's just get through the week, man. Um, and so what, what, I, what I decided is instead of making these goals and saying, you know what? Yeah, you know what? You're right, Pastor Kevin. I need to start doing this. From this point forward, I'm going to do it. That's not going to work. You're going to fail. Let me just tell you that right now. What I started to do is say, you know what? Tomorrow... I'm going to do this. I'm going to implement this tomorrow. And I'm going to think of some really concrete ways tomorrow that, um, that I can make active decisions about my day, not passive. I'm going to take some things, you know, on my way to work. That's something I might just passively do. How can I make an active decision about what I'm going to do in accordance with God's will? Maybe I'm just going to really focus and give the other drivers the benefit of the doubt tomorrow. I don't know, you know, right? It'd be a challenging thing to do. But The point is, I make these goals and they're daily goals. So I want to give you some of those now because I also know this. If if I had everyone in here committed to making a goal to do this the next year, we'd have an extremely low success rate, right? But if everyone in here says they'll do it tomorrow, we'd have a much higher success rate. Yeah? We're going to feel a lot better about those goals. I can do that. I got through one day doing it, and then we'll, we'll do it the next day. So here we go. Step one, daily repentance. I'm going to do the cliche young pastor thing here. I'm going to give you a Greek word, okay? Uh, And and it's just because it it means a lot to me, but the word is metanoia, and it means this. It means renewing or transformation of the mind. It's exactly what this passage is about. It's often represented in the Bible by the word repent. Transformation begins with repentance. Repentance is the acknowledgement that my way of thinking and living has not been in line with with God's. Oftentimes, it's very specifically uh, citing things that we've done throughout our day that have either been sinful or have not been things that are aligned with God's thinking. You acknowledge it so that you can turn from it. That's the other part of repentance. You got to turn from it. This is what I did today that I shouldn't have done. I'm not going to do that tomorrow. And this is how, this is the steps I'm going to take so that I don't find myself in that same situation and I can get out of that uh, that sin. Unfortunately, a lot of people get stuck here. So a lot of people miss the point. I just read an article this past week about how Sweden, wonderful Sweden, we all love Sweden, I guess, uh, has all but done away with prostitution. Okay, And as I read the article, I, I discovered that actually all that Sweden did was just simply change the definition of what prostitution is. And so... <laughs> And they just, they just stopped acknowledging, according to law, that prostitution is prostitution. And boom, it went away. Amazing. Um, I read another article. This was from a popular news organization, a mainstream news organization, that said, this is great. This is great. It says, out-of-wedlock pregnancies were at an all-time low. Did you guys know that? Wow. Okay. Huh? 
So come to find out, here, here's, here's the key. They no longer consider pregnancies within a committed relationship as outside of wedlock. Because, you know, marriage is so antiquated. Boom! <laughs> those, those out of wedlock marriages went away. I don't know how they do that because out of wedlock kind of means that. But they said, oh, no, today it's a committed relationship. Uh, now, let me ask you this. So just go with this for a second. Do you know, what do you think the guy who wants to have a one-night stand with some woman is going to say to her if she asks him if he's committed to her? Any ideas? All the way to the bedroom, right? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. So it's a failure to acknowledge what's really wrong, that there's a problem. There's a sin problem there. And our, our world does that so much. They just simply redefine it. We're just not going to call it sin anymore, and then it's not a problem. They won't acknowledge what the problem is. And then they put that headline, and it's like, no, I don't think so. And so that's what we've got to do. We know better because we're Christ followers. Our mind's being transformed, and we've got to say, you know what? i got a problem here. I acknowledge it, and this is how I'm going to turn from that problem. And this is how I'm going to do it practically tomorrow, not just the rest of my life. Tomorrow, this is how I'm going to get myself out of that same situation that got me into trouble today. So that's step one. We've got to acknowledge it. We've got to repent of what we're doing. And also, let me say this. Don't get caught up riding the guilt train about yesterday's sins. Because here's what the Bible says. It says his mercies are new every morning. Look at that. It's even set up in a daily pattern too, right? You get up tomorrow, it's a new day. God has just as much mercy for you tomorrow as he did today, as he did the day you got saved. Pretty incredible thing. It's about transformation of the mind. Repentance is about transformation. It's not about being saved. You've already been saved from all your sins, past, present, and future. It's about acknowledging who you are and what you need to change. Don't get caught up in guilt. You have no guilt. There is no condemnation, right? That's not the issue here. Step number two is daily repetition. The great and wise Jay Mills once said... <laughs> Repetition breeds reinforcement, and reinforcement is the mother of success. Now, here's the ironic thing. I actually had to text Jay to figure out what the rest of that said because apparently I haven't had enough repetition with it. But, um, but I like that because it's the idea that um, you've got to form daily habits, daily habits in, such as a quiet time, right? Uh, scripture memorization and godly habits. You've also got to undo bad habits, Okay? Uh, soldiers train over and over for war situations because when they get in that life or death situation, they're not going to make those active decisions, right? They're going to be those passive decisions. And if it's not programmed into their brain, uh, what would happen if you took someone like myself and all of a sudden you placed me in a combat situation? I'm going to run because my fight or flight response is going to kick in because that's what I've learned, but soldiers train so that when they get in that situation, boom, habit takes over, right? Repetition. They've, I've done this so many times, I know exactly what to do very methodically. And that's what we have to treat uh, each of our, our daily lives like. So we want to make, uh, want to be repetitious and make these habits in our lives. Um, number three, daily preparation. Have you ever noticed that you sin more when you're tired. You sin more when you're tired. So think about this. David returns from battle, 
He's tired, hungry. He's up on the roof, relaxing, right? Who does he see? Bathsheba. What does he do? He commits the defining sin of his life in that moment. Or think about this. Moses, when he gets tired uh, and frustrated, and uh, he's there in the rock, the water's not coming out of the rock, what does he do? Bam, he strikes the rock. He sins. He's tired. Oh, we've been at this for so long. I'm tired. I'm frustrated. Or think about this one. Do you think Peter got a good night's sleep before he denied Jesus three times? No, and we know this because the night before he was with Jesus in the garden and Jesus kept waking him up all night, right? <laughs> Just saying. I'm sure I'm not, Jesus always right, but yeah, and he was tired. The point is he didn't, he didn't take care of himself even up to that, even up to the point where he was supposed to be praying and keeping guard as Jesus prayed, did he? And so that just kept getting worse and worse. And eventually he got tired and fatigued and sin crept in. So we've got to make conscious decisions about how we're going to spend tomorrow. And I, I know this, that how, um, how I'm going to spend tomorrow starts with how I spend today. Always starts with how I spend the day. You've got to make wise choices about what you're going to eat. As I've gotten older, uh, I've learned that eating certain types of foods can have a really negative effect on my body that they didn't used to have. If I look at McDonald's, I just look at it. It's going to be a bad day tomorrow. So and I like the taste of it. It's not that I'm like, oh, I don't like McDonald's. No, I'm like, man, a Big Mac sounds really good, but it's absolutely going to wipe me out. I think it's funny that their uh, motto is have it your way. And I always think to myself, no, it's really, you're going to have your way with me. So anyways, <laughs> um, but you got to make conscious decisions to keep yourself healthy so that when you're faced with those decisions that you're going to make, oftentimes without even thinking about it, You've got the right frame of mind to be able to make those decisions. And I'm terrible. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm terrible about the sleep one. That's an area of conviction for me. I got to get enough rest, especially with the five children at home. It's really easy for me to not sleep. You wake up, uh, you start getting really frustrated with the kids, right? Because they're kids and that's just what they do. And then eventually it's those times where I really lose it with the kids and go, man, I sinned. And it's because last night I decided to stay up until midnight watching whatever stupid thing I was watching. You know what I mean? Uh, binge watching some show on Netflix, but we, we have to make active decisions about tomorrow. So, um, and remember, like I said, if it's the kind of thing where you get angry and, when you're driving on the way to work, maybe take a different route to work or something. I don't, I don't know. You know what I mean? But you got to make an active decision. I never said it was going to be easy. All right. You're a living sacrifice. So I love this quote. Almost done here. G.K. Chesterton once said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and not tried. You got to do it. You got to apply it. And I promise you, if you apply your faith, you will not find that it is wanting in any way. It will supply you with everything that you need. But if all you do is learn a few things... You just sort of passively go along. You're going to walk away from it because it's going to seem empty and void because you never tried it. Guaranteed, you'll be on that path, that wide path that Jesus talked about. So again, you're going to end up like those friends that, I, that sat next to me in children's church, heard that same gospel message on that incredible flannel graph, right? <laughs> Committed their lives to Christ and just never 
took root. They never did anything about it. They never applied it. Or even worse, you're going to become arrogant and you're going to think that you know better. I mean, there's a dangerous place to be, right? So you're going you're gonna to tell the God who gave you the skills to rationalize that he's not rationalizing correctly? I don't think so. That's a dangerous place to be. God help us when we get there. So, metanoia. You've got to transform your mind. You have to desire holiness. You have to build these daily habits in your lives. I hope you'll commit to doing that. Don't commit to doing it for the rest of your life. It's not going to happen. Commit to doing it for tomorrow. That's all I'm asking. Just say tomorrow, I'm going to try to apply some of the things. You know where's a really, a really great practical place to start that I wish I could dive into more? The rest of Romans 12. <laughs> Gives you absolute concrete steps for how you can apply the very thing it's talking about in verse 1 and 2. Tons of application right there. I hope you read it. Uh, in a moment, we're going to watch a video with highlights of our students uh, at Hume Lake just a few weeks ago. And I would ask that you would just pray with me that the work that began in our students' lives while they were there at Hume would continue. Pray that the faith that's taken root in their lives uh, will grow into a life of application, that they'll apply it. And uh, pray that they won't have to go through that experience that I did of just seeing their friends who they went through this with walk away from Christ. I believe that God is faithful. He can do that. And I believe that he hears our prayers. So we're going to watch that video afterwards. The worship team's going to come up and we're going to be taking our offering. So let's bow our heads and pray. God, we humble ourselves in your presence this morning. We know that we are not perfect, that we have many flaws. But God, I pray that you would give us the strength and the endurance to seek after holiness this morning. That we would not just let faith be an exercise that we do once a week to feel better about ourselves. God, but it would really be the core being of our life. And so we, we repent to you this morning, God, that we have not lived the way that you've called us to live. We have not done the things that you want us to do. And we want to turn from that and be on a path to be like Christ this morning. And so I just pray for the people here this morning. I pray that this message would take root in their lives. Um, and God, that they would find the fulfillment and joy in a life lived as a living sacrifice to you this morning. And so we honor you, God. We praise you. May you receive the glory in your name. Amen.